To say that today's Republican Party is in disarray, I think would probably be the understatement of the century. Obviously, with all of the drama surrounding House Republicans and their inability to pick a Speaker of the House, which basically means they cannot, of course, pick a leader for their party, kind of showcases the fact that Republicans were serious when they talked about not wanting the government to be involved in your business because the government's unable to do any business right now because of the Republican dysfunction. And so we just repeat that endless loop of chaos, which actually happens to be the phrase that the New York times used to report the cycle that the Republicans are in a endless loop of chaos. But the New York times says they know exactly who's to blame and Republicans across the country say they know who is exactly to blame. And that person is Donald Trump, of course, because everything the Republicans in the house do, the shadow of Donald Trump looms over them, right? We know that Donald Trump wanted Kevin McCarthy ousted as the speaker. We know that Donald Trump has been forcing Republicans, encouraging them one to impeach Biden. Let's not forget with all the Republican chaos, there's still technically an impeachment inquiry that's supposed to be happening. It's not going so well, but it's supposed to be happening. And then all the other hearings they've had, the weaponization of government, the Hunter Biden hearings, all of those have fallen completely flat. And Donald Trump has basically forced Republicans to do all of it. But I think at this point, it's a little too easy to just say that all of the problems the Republican party has, it's all because of Trump, right? Trump is a scapegoat at this point. Look, he's caused a ton of chaos. He causes chaos to this day, but let's not pretend that before Donald Trump came, came along, the Republican party was cruising along at just doing everything perfect. No, they're not. They weren't. And they won't be long after he's gone either. The Republican party has been basically in disarray since Richard Nixon. I mean, really, you could probably go a little bit before that, but let's be real here. Once Nixon's scandal, you know, came to light, Republicans were terrified, looking for a new leader. They thought they found it in Ronald Reagan, who they heralded, by the way, as the God of their party for decades after he left office. But Reagan kind of gave birth to a lot of the problems in the Middle East today. Uh, he destroyed unions. He destroyed the media. And that of course, put us on the, the path that we're on today, the path of economic hardship, the path of right-wing media dominance here in the United States and the right-wing media dominance gave birth to stupid talk from people like Rush Limbaugh, then later on Fox news and that's evolved into this wide network of idiot conservatives out there with a hundred times the audience that the left gets convincing people to still be stupid. Trump didn't do any of that. Trump wasn't involved in any of that. So the party was on its way to total chaos before Trump came along. Like even if Trump hadn't come along, I mean, look at the other people that were running for president in 2016 against Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, you think that's a normal functional guy? Hell no. Rand Paul, Ben Carson, Carly Fiorina. No, just a horrible crop of horrible people. I mean, hell, even going back to 2008, John McCain, not good to begin with. And then he picks Sarah Palin. And let's not forget, of course, the eight years of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. I mean, my God, I could sit here for two, three hours and barely scratch the surface of Republican dysfunction. So again, 
the New York times and all of these Republicans out there across the country saying that the root of it is Donald Trump. Sure. But that's like just one root off the plant. You've got to go to all the other roots as well. And, and it's easy, right? Cause the media does never want to have to think the media doesn't want to have to rehash, you know, all the things that I just briefly mentioned to talk about Republican dysfunction spanning back 60 years. So they, they take the easy way out. They say, nope, Trump's fault. Trump's crazy guy, 91 indictments against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sucks. It's his problem. The Republican party would be fine without Trump. That's not true. And if you've only been paying attention to politics for like the last seven, eight years, you'd probably believe that it's true, but you got to dig a little deeper because the Republican party was on this path long before Donald Trump came around and it'll still be on this path long after he's gone. It didn't start with him. It won't end with him because Republicans fundamentally do not know how to govern. Australian billionaire and Mar-a-Lago member Anthony Pratt has been in the headlines for the last few days after audio recordings were revealed showing Pratt talking about how Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago while he was president was basically spilling state's secrets according to Mr. Pratt. Let me read you a little bit of this. Pratt says, that Donald Trump told him before it had made the national news that that day, you know, whatever day it was, he bombed Iraq. Hadn't been in the news. Nobody knew about it yet, but Trump told Pratt that the United States just bombed Iraq. And here's what it says. It hadn't even been on the news yet. And he said, I just bombed Iraq today. (laughs) He then said that Trump said, quote, the president of Iraq called me up and said, you just leveled my city. I said to him, okay, what are you going to do about it? This is Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago bragging about United States foreign policy to somebody who's not a member of our government, not a member of the Australian government either, by the way, just a regular run of the mill billionaire chilling at Mar-a-Lago, learning about all of these secrets that he should not know about. Uh, and that of course is just kind of one of many, uh, Pratt also says that Donald Trump told him about the infamous phone call that he had with uh, Ukrainian president Zelensky, you know, the, the perfect phone call that led to his first impeachment. So he spilled those beans as well, talked about his phone calls to other foreign leaders. And this is all on top of the fact that it was recently revealed that Donald Trump likely spilled secrets about the United States nuclear submarine capabilities, along with the nuclear capabilities of other countries, which of course was top secret classified information. Now, Mr. Pratt, of course, has spoken to Jack Smith, the special prosecutor. He's told him all of this, you know, and more let's be real. So the question is, how is Donald Trump not seeking a plea deal in the documents case at this point? I mean, I get that he thinks that judge Eileen Cannon is going to save him or that being in a, you know, 70, 30 Trump to Democrat district is going to give him a favorable jury. But at this point, the evidence is overwhelming. The witness list is overwhelming because Mr. Pratt is on the witness list. He will be called in court and he will tell these same stories to that jury. 
Now, if it's just him talking, you know, if he doesn't have any kind of hard evidence to back it up, or if he can't reveal something that's not already public knowledge, you know, to prove that he knew things he should not know, uh, then it's going to be difficult for that testimony alone to sway a jury. But at the same time, the evidence is overwhelming. It's so overwhelming that at this point, I don't know that judge cannon can rig the trial enough to save Trump. I mean, we've already seen some extraordinary moves from judge cannon, right? She suspended all the deadlines this year. Last week, she actually scolded Jack Smith because Trump's people haven't had a chance to set up a secure facility to view the classified documents in like she is doing everything she can to, to favor Donald Trump. But when you have evidence that is this overwhelming, even an unfavorable judge for the prosecution won't be able to fix this trial enough. Now, if this were in front of literally any other judge, I would absolutely say Trump is toast. There's still a chance judge cannon may pull this out for Trump. It may become so overwhelming to the point where she just kind of gives up trying to do things in Trump's favor and just lets us have an honest trial. But things are bad for Trump. This testimony from Pratt is absolutely going to demolish him. And unless you've got 12 people on that jury, all wearing MAGA hats, there's a good chance. I do believe now that Trump could go down in this trial. And a week ago, I was saying, doesn't matter. Cannon's got it rigged, but this new evidence, this new witness is not new, but he's new to us. I don't know. This kind of seems like the tide turning against Donald Trump in this trial. Lauren Boebert's reelection campaign is going down in flames much faster and basically much harder than any of us ever could have imagined. Granted, the election is still, you know, 12 and a half months away, but as things stand right now, Bobert is getting crushed, not only in the polls that show her democratic challenger out Adam Frisch handily defeating her, but in the fundraising department, Bobert, her most recent financial disclosure for the third quarter says that she only raised about $854,000. $854,000 over a three-month span for a second-term member of Congress seeking a third term is very weak. Especially when you consider the fact that Adam Frisch actually outraised her four to one. So for every $1 Bobert got, Adam Frisch got four. He ended the third quarter with $3.2 million raised. Now, don't get your hopes up too much on that, because as I've talked about in the past, money flows from all over the country from people who cannot vote in that race. So the fundraising alone is not necessarily an indication that Frisch is going to just level Bobert in the election. Now, it does give him more money to run ads, and obviously... There's lots of material to run ads on about Lauren Boebert. I mean, I think the first thing that comes to mind is Beetlejuice. Uh, you could show that footage repeatedly, constantly, nonstop on the air to remind people how the only time Lauren Boebert wants to reach across the aisle is when her, well, you know, I'll leave it at that. Use your imagination or watch the video and see for yourself. 
<laughs> so that's probably not going to play too well for her. Then of course you have her most recent antics last week when she decided that she did not want to empower the temporary speaker of the house, Patrick McHenry came out vocally against that. So that embarrassed her district. The Beetlejuice thing definitely embarrassed her district. She's been embarrassing her district all year, going all the way back to January when she opposed Kevin McCarthy being speaker and interviews with her own constituents showed that even though she'd only been back in Congress for a second term for a couple days, they were already sick of her. So sick of her, in fact, that it brings me back to the campaign money for the third quarter. And Lauren Boebert has a Republican challenger. Lauren Boebert not only has a Republican challenger, Lauren Boebert has a Republican challenger that's actually doing pretty good. Her challenger, man by the name of Jeff Hurd, raised $412,000 in the third quarter. Now she raised 854. He raised 412. So he got almost half of what she got. Here's the thing. Lauren Boebert, before she even gets to face off against Adam Frisch, has to win her primary. And this is a part of the equation that honestly, up to this point, I hadn't really been considering. You know, it was assumed Lauren Boebert, again, she's in her second term seeking her third, that she would be the nominee. But if those constituents are tired enough of her, they could easily just say, well, I don't want to vote for a Democrat. Definitely don't want to vote for Boebert. So what I can do is I can just vote for the other Republican, right? We can remove Lauren Boebert from the ballot and replace her with a Republican who's not going to embarrass us every five seconds. So that is definitely something to keep an eye on, um, especially as we go forward. But another way that that hurts Boebert is instead of using her paltry, you know, campaign money that she has, because she doesn't have a ton of it, she's not going to be able to use it for the general election fight. She's going to have to blow through that money on a primary fight. So even if she survives the primary, it's going to be a Pyrrhic victory and she's not going to have the funds necessary to fight off the onslaught from Adam Frisch because he's sitting on a massive campaign war chest. So no matter how you slice it, there's a very good chance that this next, you know, 13 months might be hopefully Lauren Boebert's last 13 months in office. Let's hope. The fact that Donald Trump may have leaked state secrets is not the only revelation that we got recently from Australian billionaire and Mar-a-Lago member, Anthony Pratt. Because in the midst, of course, of talking about how Donald Trump allegedly told him all these state secrets and told him about all the conversations he was having with foreign leaders and possibly even revealing classified information, Pratt also let slip another little nugget that's not necessarily as damning as, you know, revealing classified information. And it's certainly not illegal, but it is scandalous to a degree nonetheless. And this revelation from Pratt is that while he was with Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, Trump actually suggested to his wife, Melania, who was the first lady at the time, that she needed to parade around Mar-a-Lago half naked in a bikini, you know, to make all the other guys interested, to make them jealous, to, I don't know, maybe drum up a little excitement here at Mar-a-Lago. People aren't exactly coming here for the chocolate cake. So how about you give them a little bit of your goodies 
to entice more people to come. Pratt said that Trump wanted her to saunter around the pool in her swimsuit, quote, so all the other guys could get a look at what they were missing. And Pratt said that Melania then responded and said, I'll do that when you walk around with me in your bikini. So obviously Melania wasn't too happy about this and said, you want me to be half naked? How about you go put on your speedo and then yeah, I'll do it. You want to use me as a piece of meat? I'll turn around and use you as a piece of meat. But that is a piece of meat that expired a long, long time ago. Let's be real about it. Now, Trump's campaign, of course, has come out and said this is total BS. None of it's true. Trump would never ask Melania of that. That's definitely not like him. Except it's exactly like him. <laughs> because we also have a new book uh, from, uh, uh, what is it, McKay Coppins about Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney told a story about how he was at a, a sporting event with Donald Trump. And Donald Trump said to his son um, about Melania, they were dating at the time. They weren't married yet. He said, told Romney's son, by the way, not, not Trump's son, told Romney's son, when I drop her, the phone is going to ring off the hook. Every guy in New York wants to go out with her. Because that's all Melania is. The former first lady of the United States, you know, I trust me, I wasn't a fan of her by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think, I think she's just as awful as the rest of the Trump family, but this is still a former first lady of the United States. Her name will be in history books. It is somebody we have to deal with. It is a position that is respected and should be respected. And the president of the United States just wants to reduce her to a piece of meat. Man bait, basically go out there, show what you got, make the other men jealous. You know, I'm president of the United States, your first lady. Let's give him something to look at. You know, of all the scandals that Donald Trump has been involved in, you know, most recently, obviously, the 91 counts against him, felony indictments, um, the treatment of women always seems to fall by the wayside, right? It always comes back up. You know, the Access Hollywood tape, the... 18 women that have accused him of sexual misconduct. I mean, Huffington Post reported it's actually more than 40 that have accused him of it. The sexual harassment lawsuits, the E. Jean Carroll assault lawsuit, defamation lawsuit where Trump was found liable. I mean, all of it comes back up every now and then, but then it kind of falls by the wayside. It's like his treatment of women, his complete scumbaggery, we'll call it, is the one thing that always continuously gets swept under the rug. And this may be one of the biggest things that needs to be out there every day, because here's the thing. It doesn't matter if Pratt is even making this story up about Melania. He could be, maybe this exchange never took place. Maybe Trump didn't ask Melania to do that, but that doesn't mean that all of these other things didn't happen, right? The E. Jean Carroll stuff, the 18 other women accusing him of misconduct, the access Hollywood tape. Those are things that tell us what kind of a person Donald Trump is. And that's the kind of thing we need to take seriously. That is the kind of thing that should be a campaign issue. Democrats need to bring this back up, right? Trump falls flat with women voters. He certainly did in 2020. And this statements like this stories like this on top of all of the history kind of seems like the thing that needs to stay out there and alive to remind everyone, not just women voters, of the level of depravity 
degradation and just general scumbaggery that comes along with Donald Trump. Thanks for listening to today's Fair and Balanced Daily. Stay up to date with all of our content by finding us on YouTube at youtube.com slash fairandbalanced and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at fairandbalanced.